As we continue, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 with me for our message this morning, sharing in God's family. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Well, I grew up with uh, several siblings. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but the moment you open a gift, there are a lot of eyes in the room. In fact, I had an older brother. His birthday was in December, mine in July. So he got presents twice a year. Now you may not know what that means. What that means is that as a little brother, you don't really know what you want until someone tells you. So when your older brother tells you, you know what you really need is this new game for my video game device. What you really need is another controller for my, uh, what you really need is the the, the ball I'm missing for this sport or that one. So you don't know what you need till they tell you and it turns out that if you and your brother work it just right, you can both get presents twice a year. Yeah, it can be a challenge for kids, especially siblings, to let others get, receive gifts and presents. We've had to deal with that in our own family. In fact, we were quick to adopt a rule that we learned from a friend. You see, in our house, uh, it's working for us so far. It's yours for the first day. That's our rule. Any gift you're given, it's your birthday, it's Christmas, you come home from school with a, a brand new prize that you won. How wonderful. It's yours for the first day. You get to decide who uses it. If someone begs to share it or take it from your hands, nope, it's yours for the first day. And then after that, things change a little bit. The sharing rules are open market. They all apply after the first day. You decide what happens with it, who plays with it or doesn't, but after the first day in our family, we share. It served us pretty well. It addresses those wanting eyes of siblings. The second you get something new, lets us move on to sharing sooner than later and not always argue over whose is whose and what's what. You know, the New Testament is replete with metaphors for what the church is. You can find them all over the pages of scriptures that we are a a building or a household or a temple, that we are a, a body or a bride. Again and again, the Bible searches for language to describe what this community of people is called to be. But the church we meet in Acts chapter 2 has begun to live within the most pervasive and powerful image for the church in all of Scripture, a family. But when you are a Christian, of course, you are a part of God's family. Paul says it in Ephesians 2, that all of us, no matter how we've arrived at faith in Christ, are fellow citizens in the household of God, members of God's people. You and I have been adopted into God's family and have become God's children. You see, Jesus had established this new group, this new family. It was kind of a surrogate kinship that as people came to be attached to him, they now belong to this new family this primary allegiance of those who follow him. He says it in Mark chapter three and elsewhere, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus casts a vision for his people that says you can be a part of God's family. But it turns out that sharing is a part of God's family too. 
Our text this morning from Acts 2 comes as a first glimpse, a kind of summary look at the interior life of God's people. These kinds of summaries pop up occasionally in the book of Acts. They, they're, they're bridges or, or they fill in the gaps between different narrative story sections of Acts. We get the events that unfolded and then a little glimpse of what their life together was becoming. And here in Acts chapter two, the most powerful moment in all of history has happened. The, the Holy Spirit itself has been gifted to the church. The Spirit moves in their hearts. He energizes them in worship and witness. The church of Jesus Christ is taking its place in history. Peter's monumental sermon has just come to a close. He had called for repentance and, and faith and baptism. And in the book of Acts, it has felt like one miracle after another as Luke tells this powerful story. The Spirit empowered the movement of God. The results were told in verse 41 is that 3,000 people are added to their number on that very day, moving them from 120 in Acts to 3,120. Now that in itself is an impressive feat, is it not? The numbers are meant by the author to wow us a little bit. It would be miraculous just on its own that in the witness of these apostles, Jesus acquires more followers in one day than he had in his entire public lifetime. 2,000 years ago in the first Pentecost, the church is born. It's no wonder that John records Jesus telling his disciples that as a result of returning to the Father, they would see greater works than they had ever seen him do. And it seems like that kind of thing is at work in the book of Acts when 3,000 suddenly joined them. But what's the real miracle you heard in today's passage as it was read? The number, as significant as it is, in my view, pales in comparison to what happens next. Luke begins to paint the picture of a newly formed family that is learning to embody the gospel, live out this new message in ways they'd never known before. And one of the first things that happens in the church is that they started sharing everything that they had. They shared what they knew in their hearts. They share what they hold in their hands. They shared even what they had in their homes. So we meet them today as they worshiped in their homes and as the gospel was lived out at, at dinner tables and living rooms. And, and while the miracles and acts like uh, the speaking of tongues and the, the great numbers being added among them catch your eye, there may be no greater miracle, no more challenging word for us than this one miracle of God's family that they shared. We can learn so much about the calling and character of the church in these verses. They give us some guidelines, some parameters of what the, the life of the church was like. Among them is that they began to share what they had, that in God's family we share. They were continually, it says in verse 42, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a, a sense of awe and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. The first truth I want to place in front of us today as we look at sharing in God's family is that in God's family, we share what's in our hearts. 
You see, these people had attached themselves. That's the word used there. They devoted themselves. They, they stretched out and took hold of what the apostles had to say. These firsthand eyewitness accounts that were being spoken to them of what has happened in Jesus became a, a core teaching for them to, to live and to nurture among themselves. And they devoted themselves to it. You know, like them, the teaching of the gospel, the the, the proclamation of those first-hand accounts that we have in our gospel remains at the center of all that we said and do. We continue to, to share the message of those who saw the Lord Jesus Christ themselves. The, the apostles' teaching, like this early church, is at the very center of our faith, our understanding of, of what it means to be a part of God's people. We're told that beyond just the teaching, they adhered, they devoted themselves to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer, which are most likely the kinds of fellowship that they were living out among themselves. You see, one of the ways that the New Testament church embraced becoming this newly formed family was in an emotional attachment to each other. Paul apparently felt the same thing for his congregations. He says it in places like Philippians 4, that uh, brothers and sisters, I, I love and long for my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Throughout the New Testament, it seems that these Macedonian congregations that Paul writes to have a certain a, a special affection that he shares with them, that there was a fellowship among them. It's a good church word, isn't it? Fellowship. It almost begs you to ask, do I bring a side or a dessert? But you know that biblical word quanania means more than just a shared meal together or a good social time. It speaks of a, a communal shared life that the early church began to share life among each other. You see here at First Baptist, one of the, the best ways to become attached, devoted to the teaching and fellowship of God is to connect with the kind of Bible study groups that meet in the hour after this one. And that's part of why we've made it a priority that, that that still fits in our calendar, in our schedule, because in the context of community, we believe that God brings us into God's life in new and special ways. The church is not only a place where we come to hear excellent teaching or, or hear the word proclaimed, but that God calls us to live our lives in community with others. And that happens in all kinds of ways, perhaps in your Bible study class, maybe in a midweek gathering at other times and places on this campus where you connect, but the truth remains the same that none of us is called to come and receive only, but to come to give and to share in the life of God's family. A famous Chicago pastor, Dwight Moody, was once visiting with a Chicago citizen when the the, the idea of church membership and involvement came up. As the story goes, the man said to him, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside the church. Moody didn't say anything in response. As he sat next to the man, he instead stood up and, and moved to the fireplace that sat in front of him. He took out one burning coal and placed it up on the hearth and, and sat back down. Confused, the man sat next to him while both of them sat there and watched. The ember slowly but surely died out. I understand now, the man said. You see, some people 
believe that gathering in the church is coming to get some content, that you go where your felt needs are met or, or where the teaching is just right. But the New Testament paints a picture of a church where a, a flame is born, a new light begins to shine, one that exists only in so much as we gather and receive it from one another, that the life, the new life that has burst forth from Jesus' resurrection at Easter comes alive in us together. When the two reflected on their encounter with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, what was it that they said to each other after he left, but were not our hearts burning within us? You see, some of us here today are struggling to find our way in God's family because we have yet to join others with an open heart. Our church joins Christ in calling you to know and live the gospel here in community and to see that it creates, it is created by, by sharing what's in your heart. You know, being in God's family would be powerful enough if the only truth about it was that we share what's in our hearts, the, the teaching and the fellowship that we're gifted by Christ himself. But the second thing we discover in this passage is that not only in God's family do we share our hearts, but in God's family, we share what's in our hands. It says all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. You see, in God's family, we share our stuff. In a world with closed fists, the Bible calls us to live with open hands. The context of this basic Christian value, the, the, the sharing of our material resources is, is way beyond Acts 2. It goes all the way back to the words of Jesus, the words that, that echo into 1 John chapter 3, 16, says we should lay down our lives for our brothers. But how? If anyone has this world's goods and, and sees his brother in need, but shuts off his compassion from him. How can God's love reside in him? You see, the true test of our faith, the Bible suggests, is expressed in our love and compassion for the beat up and the broken people of this world in need. Generosity. Though it can't be, be forced or, or legislated or pushed on us, the, the Bible suggests that the Acts 2 community imitates that it can be provoked by love, a special kind of love that understands the grace that we have been given in Jesus and that the things in our hands were never ours to begin with, not even for the first day. Every gift we have is from God. In the early church, we discover a radical generosity that's born from a love for Christ and a, a gratitude for his grace that surpasses anything that our world knows. It's a new vision of family. No longer are there rich and poor in Christ's body, but only brother and sister. And when we belong to one another, our needs are no longer our own, but they become ours together. You say that sounds difficult. It sounds like a challenge. It sounds costly and, and you'd be right. I want you to know today that this happens every day in your church. 
Men and women give to ensure that the needs are met in ways that no one will ever see. Sometimes that happens by intentional planning, that the regular giving, the tithes and offerings of this body are, are given generously to people all throughout the world to ensure that needs are met. And then more often than not, in, in less formal ways, in groups all over this campus, needs are discovered and before a request can even be made, people in this congregation say, I will meet that need, can you help me do it? Why? Because in God's family, we share what's in our hearts and we share what's in our hands. Author Shane Claiborne tells the story of serving uh, homeless children in India. Every week, he says, they would throw a party for street kids eight to 10 years old who were homeless, begging every day to survive. Every Tuesday, they would get about 100 of them together and throw a party, play games, eat a big meal, just giving them a break from the stresses and challenges of life. They were so excited by the food that was brought, but especially excited when one kid, it was his birthday, they decided to get him a big ice cream cone. Now, I have no idea how long it had been since he had eaten ice cream, he said, but what he did next was brilliant. He started yelling at all the other kids, told them to come over. He, he lined them up all next to him. They all stood in awe of his giant ice cream cone. And then one by one, he began to share with each one of them one big lick. His instinct was, this is so good. I can't keep it to myself. In the end, that's what the whole idea of this kind of generosity is about. Not guilt, but about the joy of sharing. About realizing that the good things in life, like ice cream, are too good to keep for ourselves. And so the scriptures tell us that day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their, their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, in God's family, we share what's in our hearts. And we share what we hold in our hands. But more than that, the passage continues, in God's family, we share what's in our homes. You know, for most cultures in history, Family has included more than what it might today. In other words, uh, more than just a, a nuclear family who happened to live in the same residence. Our, our culture, our generations are unique in that way that, uh, that very few other people live with a, a nuclear family. It was certainly true of the families in Acts chapter two that the idea of a, a household would include far more than just your own biological children. It would in, include others who served and stayed there and their relatives. It might include uh, former or, or, or generations to come. That the household was bigger than ours are today. But what we believe as a church is that the community of Christ is, is called and connected together. That when the Holy Spirit comes within our lives, we are joined to a, a much larger network, group, a family. That in God's design for the church, we receive the gift of a family larger than our own. You know, it reminds us 
that the church is meant to carry the burdens that we often these days place on families alone. And nobody uh, is here to support your family more than the ministries of First Baptist. We believe that the faith formation of our children begins in the home and, and our staff seeks all the time to equip families uh, to nurture faith within their households. But hear me when I say this, your family is not your church. Your spouse was never meant to carry the burdens that the community was supposed to support together and parenting was never meant to be a, a solo pursuit that needs no input from others. God gives us the gift of a larger family because God knew in his wisdom that our isolation gets us nowhere. Nobody values families more than us. That's why we value God's family so much because God's design for your flourishing family is to be rooted in his church. Christ has called us to more. And I wonder today as we hear examples like this, as the life of the early church comes into view, might God be calling you to share your life, your heart, your hand, your homes in ways that you've never imagined? Might it be true today that you have more to give than you previously knew was asked. See, the truth is that when we begin to share the gift of what God has given us in our homes as if it belongs to him and not to ourselves, there is no end to the kind of transforming work he can do. That's why the passage says that so infectious was their love and so real was their network and so caring was their family that day by day, God continued to add to their number. Not simply because the message sounded great, but because salvation was embodied in the way that the people lived. And we believe the same is still true today. Even now, churches like ours are preparing to serve and to share our homes in ways that live out the gospel even more. And one of the best examples of that that comes to mind in our church is our Fostering Hope Ministry. It has been embodying this kind of open homes truth for years. But you know, we believe in these days that even as much as we've supported things like foster care and adoption in places like this, that we can do even more together. That in a church like ours where God calls together a new kind of surrogate kinship, that we can wrap our lives around families who are open to foster care and provide for the needs of kids in our community in ways we never have before. Even this year, there are older adults who are making plans to get the kind of respite training they need to support foster care parents. We have plans to host needed trainings in this campus starting in the fall to help you get certified along with others so that if fostering children might be something you were open to, this church family would be a place where you would find the support and care you need to make it happen. We believe that in a congregation this size, there's almost no limit to how much we can do to serve the people of God in our community and to meet the needs of children that need a place to live, to stay, and to be nurtured. We believe that there is nowhere better in the world for that to happen than right here in the midst of God's family. And we're believing that in the next couple years, God can raise up families within our congregation who would say that the gospel has compelled us to open our hearts, to open our hands, and to open even our homes for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom.
author and activist Jason Johnson is a Christian speaker who writes firsthand about how powerful it can be to open one's home to things like foster care and adoption. He lives with several biological children, several adopted and foster kids in their home. He shares the story of how initially they had been concerned about the risks involved. They had been concerned about the effects it would have on their biological children to consider foster care as an option for their family. He says, but quickly we learned that when we open our lives to the power and love of God, some amazing fruit can grow as well. He said there'd be times when they'd walk in and and the girls would have pulled out all the baby dolls and Barbies and had them all in the middle of the room and they would ask them, what are y'all doing? And the girls would answer, we're taking care of babies that don't have mommies and daddies. See, sometimes when we open ourselves to the risks of the gospel, a greater truth shines through. Not long after that, the family was experiencing the, the process of building a new home and it came time to pour the cement in the driveway. It was one of those moments when they they found themselves there between when it was wet and when it had dried. They had the chance to to press their handprints in, you know, leave a mark on the driveway that their family could look back to for maybe generations to come. One of those chances to to sink their prints down in the, the wet cement. As the moment came, the, the parents led their children their four little girls over and began to instruct them, this is how we're going to each place one hand in the cement. But, but one of the little girls got really concerned all of a sudden. She said, no, 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 we can't do this. It didn't make sense. They, they asked her, why? Why are you so worried about leaving a mark? And she looked at them and said something to the effect of, well, when the cement dries, how are we going to get any new future sisters' handprints? in our driveway. She she had discovered that in God's family, we share what's in our hearts. And we share what's in our hands. And we share even what's in our homes. The truth is, none of it was ever yours, not even for the first day. And maybe as we witness the church coming alive in scripture, we might ask ourselves today, what's in your heart? What's in your hands? What's in your home that you're ready to share? By God's grace, we can. Let's pray together. Father, we gather today united by the same spirit that gathered your church so long ago empowered by the same love that compelled them uh, to share and to care in ways the world has never seen. We pray, God, today that you would make us, keep us, hold us as a family that announces your gospel to all the world. We pray that the love of Christ would compel us to share with one another and this community what's in our hands and hearts and homes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.